When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Isles podcast, episode number 153. What's going on? I am Matt O'Leary with Mitch Anderson. Mitch, how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing all right. It's uh, cool down here, which is ridiculous to say um, in Canada. They're like, yay, it's cold again. But right. it is. It's finally like 20 degrees. It's livable. It's not like 40 degrees. It's insane. I, I'm in a sweater now downstairs in my basement, which makes more sense. Yes, that looks a little bit more on brand for you guys. It was a hot one here today. It was around 90 again. Uh, but we just got a crazy quick thunderstorm and lightning. I was afraid we were going to lose power, but I'm glad we didn't. And it was only like 15 minutes of like the sky opening up with thunder and lightning, but we're good now. Good. Um, do you see that we're co-opting some of the United States? And by co-opting, I mean like we're annexing it. This is basically, well, I'm not going to go there. It, we're annexing part of the United States. So just take a straight line down from Toronto up to Pittsburgh. And then that section of the United States is now becoming Canada. Sorry, buds. Um, is that so the Blue Jays can play? Is That, the that is team? correct. Okay. I saw that. So, if you live in that like corridor of Pennsylvania, you're now a Canadian. I'm sorry. All right. I mean, I guess that's cool. I don't really know how this stuff works. So <laughs> expect your maple syrup and Canadian passport in the mail and a little bit of like multicolored money just to get you used to it. Perfect. Yeah, I'm in. Count me in, man. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> Beauty. All right. What do we want to talk about this week in the world of the New York Islanders? So. We have a few storylines from training camp that I think we wanted to hit through in our first topic. Uh, Obviously, with the season rapidly approaching now, which is awesome, very excited for that, there's training camp going on, rightfully so, practices as teams try to get ready to go. And, um, well, there's a few different things. First, I guess I want to talk about the lines and what's been happening with the lines. So, to no surprise, the... Top line of Anders Lee, Matt Barzal, and Jordan Everly doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. And same with the fourth line, the Martin Sezikis Clutterbuck line. The two in the middle, your guess is as good as mine for what it's gonna be. Well, it really yeah, yeah, you're right. Like the composition of those lines is is a crapshoot. Uh who is filling up those lines is really up to one spot. There's one spot within those six that is still up for debate, right? We know that Beauvilliers uh, Nelson, Bailey, uh, Peugeot, and Brassard are going to make up that 
sextuplet, right? There yeah, are five, five of, of that sextuplet. Six. Exactly. So there's one person still at, like that, that, that Barry Trotz is not sure about. And over the last two days, he's been using <clears throat> Ross Johnston. Ross Johnston in not, not in just any role, in a top six role. He is second line left wing. Uh, Mitch, I, I'm, I'm just going to come out and say it. I, I don't really care for that too much. I like Ross as a person. I like Ross as what he can give you on the fourth line. And he's got that one beauty snipe against the Tampa Bay Lightning on December 9th. But outside of that, like, may, maybe you're, you're, you're thinking we go into this and we're playing 80s hockey. We're just going to Clark Gillies the suckers out of them. And, and I guess this does it. But, like, man, this is not an inspired move. I, I like Again, I like Ross. And I don't think this is permanent. But when you use it two days in a row this close to the end, Mitch gets worried. Yeah, um, Ross is cool. If he plays like 25 games in the regular season, like I'm, I'm in, man. Count me in for that. Swap him in yep. on the fourth line when you need a little bit extra. Okay, fine. Playing with Bailey and Nelson, a little scary, Mitch. A little bit scary. Someone's doing a lot more heavy lifting on that line, and I don't mean weights. <laughs> yes. Um, I believe that earlier in camp, maybe it's shied away from that a little bit with Ross Johnston, but to me, it, it seemed like, and this is all because Leo Komarov hasn't been able to come over and play with the his eye situation. He had, what, like 70 stitches or something absolutely crazy? <laughs> it's, it's, I laugh, but it is sad, because uh, he doesn't seem like he's lost any of his eyesight. Of course, he's healing, uh, but he took a puck to the eye, and because you know how Leo Komarov likes to wear his visor like essentially in the back of his head, just about uh, where it is not usable. Uh, but anyways, so he got the puck in the face uh, and it, it cut his eye. So he's he's done. It, it, he's done for the season. Like there's no way you come back from that within a couple of weeks. It's just not happening. I I'm with you on that. So I would think that the front runner would be Tom Kunakle based on what Barry was saying early on in camp. You would think so, but he's playing on like line six right now, right? Like uh, according to yet today's scrimmage. So line one, Barzal's line, line two, Nelson, three, Peugeot, four, Sezikis. And then you get to the lad line, which is Bellows, Lad, Wallstrom. And then line six is Dalcol, Koivula, Kunakel. So he's he's down there on the depth chart, apparently. And allegedly so is Michael Dalcole, who probably played a majority of the Islanders games on that third line. So that's almost a little surprising in a sense, too. That's right. And even Arthur Staples puts Tom Kunuckle at the top of the list in terms of third line depth charge, which makes sense to everything that we've been saying for a while now. Like, yeah, yeah. It seems that Barry Trotz wants to rely on him. It seems like it's his spot to lose, but it seems like he's losing it right now. And when we see that with Ross Johnson putting it, I laugh, but that's not fair. Like, Ross Johnson is, according to Barry Trotz, playing well. And if he's playing well, well, then he deserves it. But there is a ceiling for Ross Johnston, and it's not top six. No, no. And not that Tom Kunakel's ceiling is crazy high, but I would argue that Kunakel's ceiling is probably a little higher than Johnston's now. His skating is a bit better. Like, Johnson's got he's, he's got long legs, so that kind of helps him push off, uh, and, and he uses that pretty well. But he doesn't maintain that, right? It's short bursts, although that is kind of hockey, short bursts. But he ha- he doesn't have that speed. He's got a little bit of acceleration, and, and that's it. It's not going to be enough to keep him going throughout the offensive zone or even the defensive zone, right? So 
I definitely worry about him in a, in a top six position, like a middle six. All right. Maybe not, but like, whatever I, I, or sorry, I should say a third line specifically, a third line role. Fine. I get it. Kind of, if we have to, but a top, like a second line forward. No, I don't see it. I just don't, I just don't see it. This has to be Barry Trotz playing mind games with his roster saying like, I will put someone else in here. You guys aren't doing enough for me. I mean, we saw like today Kiefer Bellows step up and put up a goal. So maybe he gets he he sees that there's a spot available and he he teases Barry Trotz enough to put him out there. I, I, hope, I don't think so, but I'm I'm with you. I don't think so either. I hope so. I just wanted to bring it up because I was curious. He played 32 games this year, Ross Johnston. How many times do you think he played double digit minutes? Twice, close three times. Yeah. And those are three times when he was playing on the top line with Barzell, wasn't it? It was, and even three, then, it was only like fourteen minutes or something. Not even the most he played this year was twelve fifty eight. So, like, he gets in those games again. He was listed as a top line player. So it's not to say that he's going to be playing with Matthew Barzell all night. It's just on the roster sheet, on the lineup sheet, he's a top line player, and he's still only getting twelve minutes. So, like, he he's not going to get more than what are you going to do here? 10? 10 minutes? Yeah, I would say probably at most 10 minutes. That's not running four equal lines, right? Because some guy is not playing an equal share. No, you would probably expect Brock to be playing close to 20 minutes, which he's done in the past, and Barry Trotz does rely on Brock Nelson a ton. But I just don't don't know if this is really the direction that we want to be going here. And maybe it is just us overreacting to two days and we're still a week away from their uh, tune up game or whatever you want to call it against the Rangers on Wednesday of next week before they play the Panthers for real over the weekend. But as we get to, you know, inching a little bit closer and closer, it's hard not to look at what the roster or practice lines have been and say, I guess this is what they're rolling with. Yeah. It just can't be, man. They can't stick with this. It's just not going to give them what they want. And it's not what you want either when you when you have a four-month layoff, right? Like, you don't want to have to put one guy, let's say Brock Nelson, going like, Brock, you're going to have to pick up slack for our roster after four months, a four-month break. Like, Brock could have been doing, doing all the Peloton he wants, it's still not going to be like, okay, cool. Like, I guess I'll just deal with that as I, as I will. Of course he will, but that's not what you want to do. You don't want to start wearing out your guys after a four-month break. You want to be able to run four lines at, at, at almost near consistent uh, uh, deployment, uh, almost equal deployment is the word I want to use here. Uh, but that's not what it's, it seems that they're trying to do here with Ross Johnston. And no. that's kind of a little uh, kind of worrisome. No, absolutely. And I think we're on the same page in that. So to put a bow on this part of the training camp conversation, why don't we go with who we think is going to be that remaining guy and who we would choose, like if we were the ones in charge? Right. Okay. Uh, so who I think it's going to be, it's going to be Tom Kunakel. I think so. On that third line left wing. I'm I'm, with, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's going to be Tom Kunakel. They relied on him pretty heavily in the playoffs last year. He played second-line minutes with uh, Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey, so I wouldn't really be all that surprised if they did it again, and that's who I'm leaning towards. What about if – who do you want? I, I want Kiefer Bellows. I want Kiefer Bellows there. 
ideally Oliver Wallstrom, but I'm not going to bite off more than I can chew here. Like Kiefer Bellows makes more sense than Oliver Wallstrom in so much as they've used him more and he's had more success. Uh, and and uh, it, he's going to have to burn his, his contract, year on his contract anyways. Whereas if they play Oliver Wallstrom, they will burn a year on his contract, which they may not necessarily want to do. Yeah, I think of the two, Bellows is more likely. I could see why you'd want Wallstrom, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. But out of the other options, I think Bellows makes sense, especially because he had you know a couple of goals for the Islanders in his limited sample size as well. So maybe he just adds a little bit of that spark to that line with, you know, Pajot and Broussard, who they could score and get hot, you know, for a small stretch. Yeah, and so like, if we're talking about players with ceiling or, or the height of ceiling or the potential is greater, the potential is far greater for Kiefer Bellows to do something than there is for Ross Johnson or even Tom Kunakel. Like, there's also the potential for failure, right? Because, like, he is a rookie, so he could make mistakes, whereas Tom Kunakel might not make a mistake per se, but he's not pushing the needle forward either at the same time. Whereas someone like Kiefer Bellows could push the needle forward potentially much further than either Tom Kunakel or Ross Johnston or even combined. Absolutely. So let's transition in this conversation and talk a little bit about the goalies because supposedly this is an open competition for both Semyon Varlamov and Thomas Grice. Do you have any indication on who you think is leading the pack right now? I don't. I I, I want to believe that it's Semyon Varlamov just because he's been used more this year. Um, Not so much against the Panthers, although it's like one game to two. It's not a big difference. Right. I just think that it's his crease to lose. And it kind of surprises me a little bit that Barry Trotz is like, well, we'll see what happens. Who knows? They're both playing really well. I, I, that's a little bit of a PR, I'm not going to say stunt, but a little bit of a PR move on his behalf to be, to, to just kind of make the, you, you want competition in training camp. And if you just come out and say like, the, the crease is Varlamov's no matter what happens, like Grice will still be motivated and he will still play well to try to change your mind. But it's not going to be the same as if, like, he knows he has a shot. Or, or or if Varlamov has a shot, right? If you flip it the other way. Right. No, absolutely. And um, I'm with you on that in the sense that I think it is Varley's spot to lose. And if I was willing to bet, I would think that it's going to be Varlamov. But based on what we've seen so far in training camp, there's nothing really indicating to me that it's a definite from the coach. It still seems like it's something that's up in the air. At least you know, to the public's knowledge. Yeah, if the blue team is supposed to be Team A, uh, so it could because it's led by the Barzal line, and if you have, you you roll with that going forward, it also has Pelik and Pulak, so you're, Pulak, sorry. So you, you kind of see how the, the top goes from there, and then Team White is Team 2. Varlamov is on Team Blue. So to me, that's the kind of like wink-wink, nudge-nudge, mm-hmm. although that could very well be nothing, and it's just me reading more than there is to read into it, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad reasoning for assuming that. Um, it's just, they. other than that, you can't really say that there's been anything else. No, there really hasn't. And, and that's kind of what Barry likes to do, right? Like mm-hmm. He's just, just like Lou. Why would I tell the Florida Panthers who I'm running with? We know the Florida Panthers are running with Sergei Bobrovsky. We know that. They're not going to run. Who's their backup even? Is it still Montembeau? Ah, uh, good question. I'll pull it up right now. I don't remember off the top of my head. 
the fact that we don't know tells us everything we need to know about the Florida Panthers goalie situation. It's going to be Sergei Bobrovsky. There's no question about it. Even though he has like a flat 900 save percentage and I believe it's a 323 goals against average this year. It's absolute yeah. dog poop. Right. It, Mottenbo had a 8-19-3-30, uh, 3.34 goals against average. Their best goalie was actually... Chris Dreiger, who had a 938-205 in 11 starts. Right. So they're not running with that kid or what? Uh, maybe he's not a kid he's anymore. He's 25. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're going to run with their $10 million goalie. Of course. Yeah, that that's expected. And you just hope that he finds the form that he has had for pretty much his entire career before this. Right. Well, like he he's, he's bounced back from bad years, right? He had that bad, I think it was 15-16 when he had a god i forget a 908 and a 275 i think it is wow you hit it on the nose good for you man i wrote about it today or not okay. wrote about it. i i did the, the newscast for our patrons ps patron.com/eyesonisles if you want post game podcast we're doing post game podcasts after every single Islanders game yeah, get baby. in on that uh, sorry for the newscast for the patrons i talked about um, Bobrovsky's comeback potential because that year, 15-16, he was absolute dog crap. Like, he was awful, got his coach fired after like 15 games or something like that. The next year, bounced back with, I'm going to say it's a 222 and a 9, no, I got, what is it, 922 and a 231? 931-206. A 931 save percentage and a 206 goals against average. And he won his second Vezina Trophy that year. Yes. When, when the guy knows he's, he's doing something wrong fundamentally or just isn't playing well, he knows how to go and fix it, and there's the proof. Right, exactly, and that's not all that long ago. And uh, he, could definitely, he could definitely turn around, so it's something uh, a little bit scary. So, you know, that's what these teams who have the big name goalies like Bobrovsky or Carey Price are kind of like relying on, all right, let's hope our goalie gets hot and we can go on a little bit of a run here. Right. Whereas with the Islanders where they, they flip most of the year, right? It was a one, a one B situation throughout mm-hmm. the season. Who knows? It could be Grice. It could be Varlamov. It, it's probably going to be Varlamov, but who the hell knows? It could very well be Grice. And that's not a terrible idea either, right? Like he's really good against the Panthers, not only this year, but over the last three or four years. Right. So yeah, why the hell not? If he plays well, give him the crease. Who cares if his contract's up? Absolutely. As for the power play, have you gotten any indication on what you want to see from that? Goals. Well, not just goals. I want to see shots. Obviously, I want to see goals, but um, more shots. Uh, I don't know if they're lining up their 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 lineups to create that more. Uh, they don't have Bailey with Lee, which I don't necessarily like, but mm-hmm. it is what it is, I suppose. When you have your your top power play unit is Pollock, Eberle, Peugeot, Barzal, and Lee, it can't be terrible as long as Peugeot is playing that um, that high slot bumper, so he does like the full one eighty around yeah. the offensive zone, and, and Lee just takes, like, the 180, which is really just the crease, right? He sticks at the top of the crease. Peugeot gets a couple feet out and 180 for around the offensive zone. I like that a lot. Uh, and if they use that, they should be able to get the best out of uh, out of Lee, I would hope. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about with the power play is obviously it struggled this year, but I feel like with the addition of Peugeot, who we're going to talk about later in this show, that they could utilize Lee a little bit better or maybe Lee's luck turns a little bit in the playoffs because I think he did get his deflections. It just 
wasn't necessarily working out for him uh, this year. We saw he looks like he's in pretty good shape uh, from a picture with Noah Dobson, which was wild, by the way. <laughs> I mean, get to that a little bit later. Yeah, so I I think that Anders Lee and J.G. Pajot, it's funny enough that you mentioned them, are the two biggest X factors on the power play not named Matt Barzell. Absolutely, right, because we don't really know how they're going to work. And, and we Well, sorry, we know what Anders Lee's going to do, but what he's been doing this year just hasn't necessarily been working. To be fair, though, he's just not seeing the same number of pucks he was seeing before. Like, he had, I'm going to say it's 38 shots this year, but I, don't, don't quote me on that exact number. It's 30-something shots on net on the power play this year. In the two previous years, he had 64 and 60. And that's when he had 14 and 10 power play goals. He has two two and he's seeing half the half the pucks on net he's getting half less than half the power play time because the hours the islanders sorry are never getting on the power play they have the lowest power play opportunities in the league with 168 the next team is 184 and that's the anaheim ducks that's terrible no it's it's crazy i remember that storyline all year long it was so bizarre that they were that low in penalties or power play opportunities but um it it makes sense why Lee's numbers went down. I think if they get consistent power play time in, in the playoffs that he's specifically is someone who's going to be able to turn it around for the Islanders offensively. Here's something that should help as well. The Florida Panthers have a 75% PK efficiency since the last time we saw them on December 12th. So that there's 38 games where they played there and they have the, 27th I think ranked power a penalty kill in the league they're terrible on the penalty kill so that should be good for us thank you that's the positive mojo that I like to hear last thing we have on this Mitch in this segment is Matt Barzal and shooting and scoring more so what he did you scored wanna... every scrimmage so far I don't know if he scored today I think he did um, he scored every scrimmage so far just putting up goals so are you predicting a Matt Barzal goal party in the first round? I'm predicting a productive Matthew Barzal, as productive as he was against the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins last year, right? Like he was, wasn't he like a point per game with Jordan Eberle? I believe so. Because Jordan I mean, Eberle had a goal every game. So I would assume that Barzal would have an assist. I, w- I would think so. So his career playoffs, he was... One, two, three, four, five points in four games against the Pittsburgh Penguins for Matthew Barzal. All okay. assists. Yeah. I, I, hoping that the production continues for him. As long as it evens out. I, I don't mind seeing only assists, but I would like to see more goals. And he, he did that kind of with, with uh, Carolina, where he put up two goals against Carolina, but like he didn't get any helpers. Lo and behold, the, the narrative for the Islanders, Matthew Barzal isn't getting any help. Yeah. It, it was pretty much in that second round. It was uh, the Matt Barzal show. Yeah, so hopefully he, he continues that, but his team also does the same thing. And we'll see. Like, what I'm a little bit worried about is that Jordan Eberle always starts slow. Mm-hmm. He's great in the playoffs, but he starts the season slow. And this is essentially an offseason, right? We have four months without anything. Is he going to be slow coming out of the gates? I sure as hell hope not. I really, I'm, I'm with you. That's definitely a fear for me as well, because like we talked about in the past, it's going on five months, pretty close to five months since the Islanders last played, which is crazy. Yeah, but uh, I guess positive spin zone, is this basically Brocktober in August? Brogist? Is that what okay. we have to call it? Okay, I, I, I will take that. I will take that. That's a positive spin zone. I'll, I'll say we take that. 
I, I think so, right? Because he starts off on fire every year. This is true. He didn't he didn't have the beer league or the beauty league. Sorry, not the beer league. The beauty <laughs> league this year to practice to practice in. But it's still a start of a season. Maybe that helps. Maybe that transitions for Brock Nelson. Hopefully. Yeah, I hope so too. So I think that's going to do it on our training camp talk. When we come back, we're going to get into the Florida Panthers game like we hinted at. They struggled on the power play. We'll talk about what else they struggle with coming up next. Welcome back to the Eyes on Isles podcast. Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson talking Isles hockey with you. Now we're getting into the Florida Panthers and, uh, well, what makes them vulnerable? And you wrote something about this this past week, so why don't you share some of the key points from that? Well, it's basically everything. They're, they're, they're bad. Sorry, it's not everything. They're not great just about everywhere aside from goal scoring, which is arguably important. quite important because right. if you score more, you win. Um, they're top 10 in terms of... So what I did here for this piece is that we've, we last played or we last saw the Florida Panthers on December 12th. So we know what they were up until that point, right? We knew what they wow, what their style of play was and everything they had done and how we'd matched up against them. We were 3-0-0, or sorry, 3-0-0 against the Panthers. What happens after that, right? Because the Panthers had played 31 games up to that point, and they played 38 games after that. So they had a longer season from the last time we saw them than from up to when we saw them. So there's a larger body of work available to us after we saw the Florida Panthers. What happened? Well, their offense, like I said, top 10. They have 3.26 goals for per game. Top 10 in the league. So that's fine. That makes sense when you have Jonathan Huberdeau, Evgeny Dadanov, Mike Hoffman, Alexander Barkov. Uh, I'm missing another one here. Who else am I missing? Doesn't matter. Uh, Either way. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's it's another fine. one. The Panthers doesn't care. Uh, but then after that, you get into other shot metrics like shots four, Corsi four, expected goals four. They're all bottom half like 16 19 27 respectively 27 that's expected goals for and that means a lot because that's the shot quality the quality of their shots went down from 10th in the league pre-december 12th to 27th the quality of their shots dropped dramatically yeah that's that's something that's does the islanders some favor because they like to keep their teams or their opponents to the outside and stuff like that defensively. So uh, I'm definitely excited about that statistic. So, and, and what we have to remember with that is that they made a big trade in the offseason, right? Or not the offseason, at the trade deadline. They sent uh, Vincent Trocek to Carolina. That's right. Good call. And so they picked up Eric Halla and Lucas Walmart. And, and the idea behind that is that we have to s- sacrifice some offense in terms of getting, because both of those guys are, are centers, and, and they're fine centers, but they're not the same type of offensive center as Vincent Trocek is. So they, they got better defensively down the spine, kind of like the New York Islanders do. But they you can see what happened here with the Florida Panthers, where it started to dip significantly for them. And of course, we're, we're talking about December, December 12th. Pardon me. So we still have the, like the middle of December, January, and most of February, where Vincent Trocek was there. But the idea is clear. They decided after December 12th, like we need to uh, sacrifice a little bit of offense so it can play a little bit more defensively and win more games. Because they were winning at a 5-6-5 clip. It just wasn't enough. They didn't really improve that after December 12th. They were winning at a 5-6-6 clip. And, you know, that's not great. It was not terrible, but it's not good enough. Right. It's not. That's the thing. It's just not good enough. 
But then when you look at their defense, it just doesn't get much better. Like they were pre-December 12th in terms of goals against, shot against, course against, expected goals against. So essentially the flip from the offense. They're 27th, 9th in shots against. So that's pretty good. 13th, Mm -hmm. 28th. That all changed to 26, 26, 17, 22. Like they're bottom tier of the league in every defensive metrics possible. Every single one of them. And again, those are goals against per game, shots against per game, Corsi against, and expected goals against all per game. So if the Islanders' offense is to get going, it seems like it's against a team like this. No, Mitch? That is correct. And like their special teams isn't any better, right? They they have the 18th best, if you want to say, power play since December 12th, and the 27th best penalty kill, which we already talked about. Right. Like Their power play isn't very good, it's better than the Islanders at 20.2%, but they have significantly more firepower than the Islanders do. Yeah, no, they do. They definitely have at least the bigger name recognition, I would say. At least. You're right. Yes, at least. And then we all know the we, we talked about the fallacy, not the fallacy, but the weakness in nets, at least on, on paper. Yeah, obviously with Bobrovsky, this year hasn't been great in, in the past. Obvi- we know the, the two Vesna trophies. Uh he was better in the playoffs last year, but before that, he struggled a little bit. He had a 900 save percentage in, in 18, 17 to 882, 14 to 908, and then in Philadelphia, he had a 722 and a 877. Yeah, playoffs don't seem to be his jam, so hopefully that continues for us. Yeah, I mean, that'd be nice. I hope it's not 20, 2019 version of... Uh, of him in the playoffs. <laughs> that would not be great. Although I guess worst case scenario, we get a 12.5% chance at Alexis Lafreniere. So, you know, it's not too bad. Yeah, I got positive spins, right? Exactly. That's the theme today. Positive spin zone. Positive spin. So it certainly seems like on paper, the Islanders have a pretty good shot against Florida. The biggest thing that scares me is like I said, or like we said earlier, that Bobrovsky does have the potential to get hot and steal a uh, series, and they do have some pretty good firepower up front. So those are probably their two most scary qualities, I guess I would say. That's right. Yeah, And that's that's everything that we know. And that's the thing. We know all of this about the Florida Panthers. There aren't going to be very many surprises. Again, Bobrovsky's going to be in nets, and they're going to try to be a little bit more defensive. We're just a better defensive unit than they are. Uh, they have better firepower than we do, but we shut down better fi- better offensive teams all the time. And now sure. we have a rejuvenated and healthy blue line. I'm not saying we're going to sweep them, but I-, I-, I fancy our chances in this series. I really do. Absolutely. So I think we wanted to talk a little bit about J.G. Pajo tonight as well, uh, as he is one of the newer Islanders. I was going to say newest, but technically Elis Sorokin is the newest Islander. Correct. Correct, Amundo. Um, so in seven games with the Islanders, obviously not a big sample size. He had two goals, two points, and he was playing 18 minutes a night on the season. He's has 42 points in 67 games. So I guess what I wanted to do I guess, is more so just expectations for him in the playoffs. Obviously, we know he's going to get the third line, but what do what do you want to see from him? Depth offense. Like the, the, the kid knows the kid. He's like a couple of years younger than I am, right? He's 27, so like 27. nine years younger than I am. Um, 
I want to see depth offense from him. We've seen him play in the playoffs and play well. Like in 16-17 for Ottawa, he put up 10 points in 19 games with eight goals. In 2012-13, had six points in 10 games with four goals. Like the kid knows how to throw himself in the lineup and make himself useful. Definitely. That's what I want to see. I'm not saying he needs to be he needs to lead the team in, in, in points or be at the top of the points table. He just needs to be a guy that when he goes on the ice, I know I can get offense from him. I know he's gonna do something offensively. And I, I'm not really worried about that about that necessarily. Like the kid knows how to play in the playoffs. He really does. He does. And I think part of the Islanders issue sometimes is that they rely way too much on their big name guys, the Barzells, the Nelsons, the Lees. And when they're not going, it's like the entire offense is completely shot. But if you get those goals from the J.G. Pajos, the Derek Broussards, the Casey Zizekas, even if you want to throw them, him in the mix as well, that just makes the lineup that much more, have that much more depth. And I think that's what they were lacking in. Part of the reason why they traded for him in the first place is because how much of a black hole that third line was. And if it could be like at least a semi-competent line with Pajot and Broussard, who was better this year on the wing, and you'd assume that if he's playing with someone like Pajot, the chances of him being maybe a little bit better offensively is there. Then you're starting to talk about, okay, you're having a, at least a decent third line because for the majority of this year, it was just atrocious. Well, remember how it was with Valtteri Filppula there, right? And Filppula put up good numbers for the Islanders on the, in that third line role. Uh, and and Jean Gabriel Peugeot is a better Valtteri Filppula, mm-hmm. at least at the point that we acquired Valtteri Filppula. I don't I don't know I, I can't really write off Valtteri Filppula's entire career, but I, I would imagine that they're pretty close, right? Um, so I, I would expect Jean Gabriel Peugeot to really take that line, that third line. Not only just make it its own, make it is his own, but do something pretty pretty good with it. I just want to pitch this at you for yeah, yeah. for offense. Okay. Jean Gabriel Peugeot has three hat tricks in his career. Do you know how many of those came in the postseason? Well, I know he scored against the Rangers. He had one in the playoffs, so that's at least one. At least one. I'm gonna guess two then. It is two. Two of his three, and this this isn't like a top tier scorer. So like the fact that he has three hat tricks is pretty pretty impressive already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has three hat tricks, two of them in the playoffs. Again, the kid plays in the playoffs. That's six of his total twelve goals. Half of his production came in two games in terms of offense. So like that kind of sucks, I guess, when you look at it that way. But the kid knows how to play, and he knows how to put a points in the postseason. Well, sometimes you need. That kind of offense. Like, let's say, for instance, you don't get anything out of your top six. Well, then that's three right there from your third line, and then maybe you get one from a defenseman, and that's four. You should win a game with four goals. Right, and then that just gives another level of worry for the team that you're matched up against because they're going great. Not only do we have to worry about Matthew Barzell, but we got that jerk on the third line scoring hat-tricks on us. What the hell are we supposed to do now? Yeah, and uh, like we've been saying, he's not someone who's going to put up you know, crazy production offense. I mean, this year was the outlier with 42 points and 26 goals. But especially down the middle, on that third and fourth line in Pajot and Sezikis, they're pesky players, man. They're tough to play against, and that's what you want to see in the playoffs. That's right. And, like, the thing with Peugeot is that he doesn't just play five on five. He doesn't just play on the, pen- on the power play. He plays on the penalty kill as well. And he's going to be... 
I would assume second fiddle in terms of centers behind Casey Zekas yep. on the penalty kill, which actually when we talked about Brock Nelson earlier, this just helps out Brock because he doesn't have to be the second pivot on the PK anymore. Mm-hmm. Like this is huge in terms of time management for this franchise, for this team. Sorry, not just franchise, the team. Um, whereas you can free up a little bit more time for Brock Nelson to be that important player five on five and on the power play and not have to carry the team on the PK. Uh, or or carry the wings if Sezikis goes down. You got another guy now. This is great. Right. And it, it's better that he, he gives the Islanders a little bit more than like the Leo Komarov, Nikolai Kulamins of the world who were pretty much only in the lineup because they killed penalties. Exactly. So like he can do that. He can play on the five on five and he can play on the power play. And he takes draws, right? He's had a 55.7% win rate with the Islanders so far this year. Of course, that's only over seven games, um, but he took 58 draws. Sorry, not even 73 draws. Not even that's not that's more than that. He took over 100 uh, draws so far with the Islanders. That's a lot. Like Barzali, think has taken 300 all year. Yeah, he did take a wow. He did take a lot of draws. Uh, but for his career, he's a 52.3. The last time he had under 50 percent was in 2014-15. So that's that's insane. Like the, the guy is really good at, at, at on the faceoff. I'm just trying to find out the stats for the team because I, I rattled off some numbers here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just want to make sure I get them right in terms of who's taking. I know Brock Nelson's taking most of the uh, faceoffs. I'd imagine so. Brock Nelson has taken 1,188 faceoffs for the New York Islanders. Next up, Casey Zegas with 688. That's this season. Matthew Barzell, 548. So it's not the 300 that I thought, but still. Less than half of what Brock Nelson is doing. And yeah. this is your number one center, right? Apparently. Right. Yeah, supposedly. Anyway, um, but he's not. that's not his strong suit. He's not good on the faceoff, so they're, they're not going to put him in that position. No, exactly. So even at five on five, he's taken less faceoffs than Casey Zekas has. Seeker many... is 526 at five on five. Hasn't Lee and when Bailey was playing up there too, they usually are the ones taking the faceoffs. Five on five, Bailey one eighty five, Anders Lee one fifty seven. There you go. Um, so that's pretty good. Except they don't have great like Bailey's at fifty point eight percent, but Lee's at a forty four point six. So don't trust Lee to take the face off, please. Yikes. Okay, not great. Not great at all. But yeah, Jean Gabriel Jean Gabriel Peugeot was already seventh on the team, and he's played seven games. Seventh. Yeah, and so. he's taken a, a lot of face offs, and he played. A, like I said, he played a significant chunk of time, 18 minutes a night with the Islanders on the quote-unquote third line. Shows they rely on him. Yeah, so I, I think that the thing for Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, it's not just to be the guy to give you some death offense, although that's going to be great. It's to be the pivot on three different situations, five-on-five, five, penalty kill, power play. He's going to be vital for us, and that's why you said the X factor, because he's going to be everywhere for the Islanders, absolutely everywhere. So I, I think... Man, the, the sky's not the sky's the limits. He's not going to be like a, a point per game player in the playoffs. But I think the fact that you have him and the, and that he's locked up, yes, it's a higher, it's a high number. But when you look at what he's going to do for this for this team and what he allows the rest of the team to do, it's a worth it's a worthy price. Yeah, I think so. Especially if he can give them close to forty points a year. Too, That'd be offensively. great. That'd be phenomenal. Uh, Want to get into the quiz stuff? Yes, let's do that. All right, let's do it. 
All right, so if you're new here, we do this quiz at the middle part of the show, and it's I we have 53 sh- 100 God, Jesus Murphy, I'm it's awful okay. today. Awful. Let me start that over. Welcome to the Eyes on Isles podcast, episode 153. And so on the quiz section of this of the show, I'm going to try to get Matt to guess a player who's played either 53 or 153 games for the New York Islanders. And the clues get progressively easier as they go. Matt, are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Clue number one. I was born on February 3rd, 1977. Next. Yeah, you never get these. That's fine. I played for five different NHL clubs. Here they are in alphabetical order. The Detroit Red Wings, the Minnesota Wild, the Nashville Predators, the New Jersey Devils, and the New York Islanders. Next. Two of my four goals with the Islanders came against the Devils in the 15-16 season. Is it Gianta? Incorrect. Okay. Good guess. I was paired with Thomas Hickey on the third pair. That's clue number four, by the way. Um, so you know Hickey's a lefty. This guy's a righty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, next. I'm a Czech defender, and I'm not much of a licker. Oh, Marek Zidlicki. There it is. You got it. Okay. All right. I'll give myself credit on that. There you go. The, the licker has nothing to do with actual licking. It just it sounds like Zidlicki. I was worried people are going to go like, but Brad Marchand didn't lick him. <laughs> no, no. It's just, just to get them to guess the other word. Anyways. There you go. Good it job worked. by you. It worked. Okay. I wasn't the direction I was going. I didn't think it was going to be a defenseman. And then the Thomas Hickey one obviously gave it away. Yeah. I'm trying to make it a little bit more difficult. Just a bit more. Because no. we're getting into players that you clearly have known a little bit, know a little bit more. Absolutely. So thank you for at least giving me a player that I've seen play. It was going to be Josh saying, but I was like, that's going to be too easy. Oh, he played 53 games for the Islanders? That's right. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> I didn't want to make good. it. How can I make it easy for Josh? Like I can maybe or hard. Sorry. How can I make it hard for Joshua saying? I just, just can't. I know you know him too well. I could probably give you the birthday, but you'd probably get it by guess number two. Yeah, I would say probably at least the first two or three. So. Yeah. So I wanted to make it at least more enjoyable. No, that was a good one. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into the social segment and what's going on around Isles Twitter. Welcome back to the Eyes on Isles podcast. Getting into the social segment now. Mitch, what do you got for us this week? Uh, so this comes from a post that I wrote on the site about said Josh Hosang, because he put out a song called Learning, which is great, by the way. Uh, the song is pretty good, but the, the fact that he's doing this and putting himself out there is amazing, because hockey yes. players just don't do that stuff. Correct. Anyways, here's one of the comments from uh, Priapism. Priapism. I don't know if I read that correctly. Either way. These writers will never lose their heart on for Joshua saying, does he have blackmail on you guys? No, he does not. I just think it's incredible that hockey players put themselves out there artistically and do something artistically. And it's not like, hey, look, I can swing a golf club. Cool. Cool. All of you can do that. Good job. Yeah. Um. Sorry, it's it's just it's a little it gets a little frustrating with that stuff. Um, just because he him with him specifically, it's part of it's because of his individuality. Why he wasn't 
liked from the beginning. And uh, I don't know. I, I just hate that rhetoric and storyline. I don't he, like it. He's just never going to shake the narrative. He's just never going to shake it. And to do it, it's not say that he wrote a song, get him on the team. No, it's just great that he's proving he's an individual and he's working that individuality into a, a sport, into a career that does not enjoy individuality at all. Yeah, no, that I think you hit the nail on the head there just because, like you said, hockey, it's like, what do you do? You play golf, and like if you're John Tavares, you like tweet out brand promos once every like six years. Bleep, blop, bloop, I uh, took a face off. I'm disappointed in my performance today. I take full responsibility. Bleep, blop, bloop. Like, that's that's it, right? Like, come on, man. Yep, so um, I, I like that. I agree. I didn't love the song in terms musically, but I love that he's putting himself out there and creating things that he likes to do, which to me is the most important. I respect the hell out of him for that. Exactly. That's just, that's the, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not to say he he needs a roster spot now. It's just, that's the thing. Anyways, onwards and upwards. Com- completely fair. So we found out today, Mitch, that the New York Islanders arena at Belmont has a name. It will be the UBS Arena, and it's going to go by the nickname The Bank, which I like. I can get behind that. So are, are, are we set on The Bank? I like it. I, I think jo- that's great. John Ledecky said it today, so uh, I, think it's, I think it's official. I, I haven't heard of another uh, sports arena or ballpark named The Bank, even though a lot of them are named after banks. right? Like the, the one that Toronto Maple Leafs plays in is named after a Scotia, a Scotia Bank, so... But yeah, no one I mean, calls it the bank. No, no, no. Like there's Citizens Bank Park, which is where the Phillies play, but it's not called the bank or anything like that. I don't know. I, I think it's different. I, I like it. I think it's cool. I also like it. I, I'm super down with the bank. I think that's that's great. I understand it's stable because we're going from barn to stable and it's the racetrack. I get that. If you want to call it stable, cool. That's fine. I just think the bar, the bank will catch on quicker, I think. Yeah, I like. I'm cool with both. I really don't have an issue with it. I I agree with you. I think Banks going to be the one that they really try to push. Yeah, I ho- hopefully. I I think it sounds cool. I really do think it sounds cool. The UBS might not be too pleased about it because their name isn't said every time. But who's going to go be like, hey, I'll catch you at the UBS? No, no. no. The UBS. <laughs> the UBS, right? <laughs> Even Barclays. Barclays. It, it makes sense as a word, right? You can say like, oh, we're going to the Barclays. Even then, people said bark. Right? Yeah. So, like, whatever, man. I think the bank is cool. Yeah, and supposedly it's a, it's a uh, pretty lucrative deal for the Islanders, too, which is uh, good. It is very lucrative. Uh, I saw somewhere that it said $250 million, but that was quickly changed to $350 million, going upwards to $400 million. Based off how the team plays, which I don't know if that's new information, like if that's a new kind of thing in deals or not, I, I'm... I'm Going back and forth with uh, Sports Daily Business Journal on that to find out, try to find out some more information about this. Okay, interesting. See, I didn't, I didn't realize that the number could potentially change depending on how they play. Yeah, so they can get from I think it's between seventeen point five to up to uh, mathematically twenty million dollars per year because this is a twenty a twenty year deal. Twenty million dollars per year going to. I don't know how this works out because it's a deal signed with Oakview Group, right? They, they're the ones that run Belmont. How mm-hmm. much of that trickles down to the Islanders and thus how much of that, 
um, do they get and how much of that becomes hockey related revenue, so on and so forth. These are all questions that I still have. And maybe those are obvious questions, but this is, I'm, I guess I'm new to n- naming rights. So it's all things that I, I want to figure out. No, nah, but that, that's great that it's, you know, so lucrative and, and you'd assume that it's only, you know, a positive for the Islanders. Absolutely. Right. Like the number itself is positive, right? Cause it's not just like, Oh, it's the Islanders, eh, 250 million. No, no, this is the same amount that was given to the new Seattle franchise by Amazon, right? For a climate pledge arena, I think it's called something like that. Yeah. It's, it's something along those lines. So like, yeah, that this is a big deal because the Islanders are getting market value on this. Also, not to completely change the topic on this, but I like the slogan that the arena has. It's in their uh, bio. I don't know if you saw it. A new home for a new era. I like that. There's a lot of good things from the video that they put out, right? Like, uh, what is it? It's not built for music. It's like made for music, built for hockey kind of thing. Uh, yes. Most of are made for music. Built for hockey. Yep, that's exactly it. Which is great, right? Because the Belmont, no, sorry, the Barclays was not built for hockey at all. No, no, no. This is actually like, is going to be proper multi-use for for both sports and for entertainment and stuff like that. It's going to be very, very, I can't wait. I'm so excited. I drove by the other day and I saw the bricks going up Mm. and that was very nice to see. It's nice to see the facade going up and like the roof, the the rafter, not the rafters, but like the girders, I guess. I don't know what the proper terminology terminology on it is. I would have probably said rafter. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's a big black looking arch thing that's going to hold up the top. <laughs> that's all I know. The only thing I build are Legos, all right? So anyone who's in the construction industry, I'm sorry for <laughs> bastardizing the term there. Absolutely. Uh, my next thing comes from Offside Tavern who tweeted out a picture of Noah Dobson, Brock Nelson, Jordan Eberle, and uh, Anders Lee all at the golf course. Um, And there's two things in this picture. The the one thing that Offside wanted to show is that the way that Jordan Eberle is placed, it looks like he's got his hand on uh, Brock Nelson's butt, which probably (laughs) isn't the case, but it's hilarious to think so. They even superimposed a hand of where it should be. Right. The thing that stuck out to me is the friggin' tree trunks that are coming out of Anders Lee's pants because his legs... His what? What are those glutes? No, glutes are quad. Glutes your butt. The quad is thigh. Massive, massive. It's huge, and it's like it's not just massive because like it looks big compared to the three other professional hockey players standing beside him, and it's re- put both of their legs combined, and that's one of Anders Lee's legs. One. The boy's thick. The boy is thick, man. He barely fits into those pants. It's insane. It's very humbling to look at those legs and go, Jesus, Murphy, I got to do some squats. I have to do some squats right now. Yeah, I think if you put both of my legs together, like that's one of his legs. I've Maybe, maybe, maybe for me. Well, now we know why he's so difficult to move from in front of the net. Yeah, he's rooted. He's literally rooted in place <laughs> because of these tree trunks that he has. There, I can't get over it. I can't get over how like large his legs are. It's insane. This guy never skips leg day. No, no. If you you're into the uh, looking at the the thigh, Google Saquon Barkley's legs. That is going to put you in a real pretzel. How do I spell that? S A Q U A N and then Barkley B A R K L E Y. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. 
Jesus. I got to do some squats, man. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Holy hell. If you want to feel real bad about yourself, type in Saquon Barkley legs. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, pretty impressive. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. Oh, man. No. <laughs> so, last one for me is NHL Seattle tweeted out that at 9 a.m. Pacific time, which is 1 p.m. our time on the East Coast. It's three hours, isn't it? 12. Sorry, 12. Yeah. Uh, not a math podcast. Uh, the It says the 32nd franchise comes to life. So I'm assuming that means we're getting a name tomorrow. Yeah, I would assume we're getting a name. A name and colors, I would say. Like, looking at the video... We're getting colors. So you can see like the, the net that so if you haven't seen the video, go and find it. It's on it's on their web their, their Twitter account. Um, but it's if you look at how they they shot it, so it's like two or a group of fishermen and they, they pull in a net and they got something weird in the net. Look at the colors of the net. You've got teal and orange on that net. Yeah, there's teal and I see a lot of yellows in there too, like yellow accents. Yeah. That's uh, this is conspiracy theory, it's not really conspiratorial, it's just trying to read through the tea leaves here that's going to be the colors i would imagine that's the colors okay that'd be a pretty good guess and uh well the the teal blue orange and dare we say fisherman theme where have we seen that before (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i forgot about that yep you're right because it's all they're all fishermen or some sort of like trappers or whatever yeah um i think so they pull like a, they get like a goal horn that comes out of the water. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's going to be Kraken. They've talked about that one a lot, I feel like, and I don't know. It, that's That lives in the water now. It does. Uh, that'd be very cool. Although there's nothing in that video to suggest Kraken, right? No. But like, what are they going to be? Like the Seattle tuna? Like what? What's Sockeye, their... I think I, I've seen around a lot. Sockeye? Yeah. So it's a, it's a trout, isn't it? I don't know. Sock, sockeye. Salmon. It's a salmon. Sock-a- Trout. What am I talking about? Sockeye salmon. Be, they're going to they're gonna be named after salmon? That's a pretty bad, dope fish. Look at the teeth on that sucker. Uh, I don't know. It's geographically appropriate as well, right? Like all the salmon that are coming up north. Come on. I guess. Man. Come on. <laughs> We're gonna be we're gonna play the salmon next week. We got the salmon on the schedule. <laughs> what it beats what are the the blue jackets? What are they a bug? I know blue jacket doesn't stand for a bug, but like their logo is their 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 mascot is a bug. I don't know. Names are weird, but okay. Sockeye, maybe? Maybe. I, I like Kraken. I, I would I would prefer Kraken, but like these are the names that are called. if you go on Twitter right now. And and what's trending? You have Kraken alongside a sockeye and something else, right? Like I, I forget what the other one is. So like, I, I would imagine Kraken is in there, but I'm I'm not I'm not sold on that they're, they're going to go that far out. Okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, anything else in the social segment for you, Mitchie? That's all I've got, man. Uh, we can talk about like the 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 plane sleuths going around and, and trying to find what what plane Ilya Sorokin was in, but. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Sorokin landed in New York. I was almost surprised by that. I figured he might fly directly to Toronto. Well, so did I, because Montreal was saying that Alex Romanov was flying directly to Toronto, and then we find out, oh, actually, no, he wasn't. Yeah, that was a big old lie. So you're like, okay, 
So where is it? Which makes maybe it's on a, a, a diversionary on their their account, right? Trying to say like, well, he's going to be in Toronto, and then everyone's there, knowing everyone's going to be there. But like, no, no, he's just going to to Montreal, and then there's no one there to greet him. There's no like worry, I suppose, because we we don't really have any pictures of Sorokin. We have that one. Um, but it, it could have technically been taken anywhere, although they are wearing U.S. Port Authority, which is pretty clear. Yeah, the pretty Port clear. Authority. Yeah, that that's in. Uh, yeah, that's in NYC, man, or that or the airport at least, so JFK, LaGuardia, whatever. Right. So flew into. It stands the reason he's here, but we haven't heard from the team that he is, and we haven't seen him on ice or anything of the sort. So. No, well, I'd assume that he probably is going to have to quarantine. At least for seven days and then four days with four negative tests in a row. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see. Give it a shot, right? Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to get him in the mix. But uh, let's get some plugs in here before we go, Mitch. Uh, so wherever you're listening to this show, please make sure to subscribe, give a rating, a review. That really helps us out a lot. We appreciate all the love and support. You can also follow along with us on social media at Eyes and Isles FS on Twitter. My Twitter is Matt O'Leary NY. Mitch's is at TLO Mitch. Facebook, Facebook.com slash Eyes on Isles. You can also download the app, the Eyes on Isles app, available on iPhone or Android. And of course, you can visit the website, EyesOnIsles.com, for all your New York Islanders needs. Last but certainly not least, the Patreon, Patreon.com slash Eyes on Isles. Five bucks a month gets you post game shows, which is coming back finally. It gets you deep dives. It gets you live streams. It gets you a mailbag show and a great community of New York Islanders fans over there on Patreon. It's a ton of fun over there, right, Mitch? It's a bunch of fun. We're just about to go through nine different questions on the mailbag, ranging from uh, something about TVs. I haven't read them all just yet to Belmont Park named what we thought the corporate sponsor was going to be. So it's a bunch. Of, it's a good time. A hundred people out there. There's a hundred people, Matt. Let's go. And, and post-game Absolutely. podcasts are coming, right? Games are coming. So as of the 29th, we're doing post-game podcasts after every single New York Islanders game. Let's go. We're back. Officially back, and I can't wait. So thank you so much for tuning in to episode 153. Once again, I'm Matt O'Leary. He's Mitch Anderson, and we'll talk to you next time. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.